This is Franchise Today, brought to you by FRM Solutions, providers of the best-in-class software solutions for franchise relationship management. Franchise Today is your destination for weekly information, conversations, and interviews with accomplished industry leaders, all of whom share best practices for sustainable growth and sensible franchising. Here now, your host, Stan Friedman, to kick off this week's podcast. Today is Wednesday, August 18th. I'm Stan Friedman, and this is Franchise Today. Well, I've got a really solid interview for you today with Peter Holt, President and CEO of the Joint Chiropractic, and it'll take just about all of our time. So very quickly, let me thank the Wing King, Drew Serza, and Stacy Peterson, Wingstop's CTO, for serving up a solid episode last week around one of America's favorite culinary delights. Of course, I'm talking chicken wings. The Wing King stopped by and humbled me with his comments leading to my induction this year into the National Buffalo Wing Hall of Flame. And the ever-competent Stacy Peterson, Chief Technology Officer at Wingstop, delivered so much take-home value to brands of all sizes to help them understand how to build the technology platforms required to attain the types of successes enjoyed by Wingstop with more than 1,500 locations and growing steadily. So, moving on to today's program, we're visited today by Peter Holt, President and CEO of The Joint, the nation's largest network of chiropractors. The Joint Chiropractic prides itself on providing convenient and affordable chiropractic care focused on the unique needs and goals of their patients. Whether it's pain relief or preventive care, patients of The Joint can expect their patient-centric approach to be new and different from any healthcare experience they've ever encountered before. With more than 600 locations in the United States, 1,000-plus licensed doctors of chiropractic and greater than 12 million patient visits these guys must be doing lots of things right in two minutes or less peter holt will tell us all about it but first this word from our good friends at atmosphere tv franchise today will be right back but first a word from our sponsors Hey, franchisors of restaurants, bars, grills, and taverns, and multi-unit franchisees, listen up. This message is for you. Atmosphere TV wants to help you cut costs on overpriced cable TV for your business and either replace it completely or partially if sports programming is essential at your locations. What Atmosphere TV provides are 100% free programming options with nearly 50 channels of highly engaging and entertaining programming that is audio optional and guaranteed to please your customers and even increase their average ticket per visit. So here's how it works. Atmosphere hooks you up with an Apple TV HD receiver loaded with nearly 50 channels of fully licensed, no cost to you, fun and lifestyle programming. These channels include Jive and Red Bull TV, bloopers, superhuman feats, and an array of viewing options that don't require sound to be enjoyed. And this offer is not just limited to restaurants or bars. No, any business with a TV screen in its waiting room can benefit from Atmosphere's free programming offer as well. So what are you waiting for? Cut the cord on overpriced cable and get Atmosphere TV with its 100% free, engaging, and entertaining programming options. Keep your guests happy while they wait to see you instead of 
of watching the clock and their wait times. Chiropractors, doctors, dentists, auto repair shops, anyone with TVs in your waiting rooms, jump onto this amazing offer today. And if you text the word FRANCHISE to 474747, Atmosphere will waive the $100 setup fee for the Apple TV HD receiver that they'll ship to you as well at no cost. Atmosphere TV, changing the way businesses view television. Find them online at atmosphere.tv and remember, text FRANCHISE to 474747 for the no-charge Apple receiver. Cut the cord and get rid of cable today with Atmosphere TV. Peter Holt has been active in the franchise community for some 35 years, helping iconic companies such as the UPS Store, Tasty Delight, and Planet Smoothie manage their franchise systems in both domestic and overseas markets. For the past several years, Peter has been at the helm of the Joint Chiropractic, publicly traded on the NASDAQ, and the largest franchise network of chiropractic clinics in the world. Peter has written and lectured extensively on the subject of franchise. He has served on several advisory boards, including the IFA's Board of Directors from 2013 through 2015, and has also served as chairman on the International Affairs Network of the IFA and on GLOMAC, the IFA's global marketing group before that. Peter Holt, welcome to Franchise Today. Thank you, Stan. It's an honor to be here. Then a privilege for me. So I think that puts us on pretty level footing, my friend. It's really good to hear your voice. The time that we haven't seen each other just feels so strange to me. How's this been working out for you, Peter? No, it's the same. It's that uh, yeah, I think that, for example, you know, we'll, we'll get into it, but I've been uh, attending the IFA convention you know, for, I think, now 34 years in a row. And so there was always that event that brought us together with friends and, and fellow franchisors and catching up and learning what has changed. And to, to, yes, we did it virtually this year, but obviously there wasn't anywhere near that same connection. And so I think that whether it's personally or professionally, it's just been so hard to go through this pandemic and be just so utterly separated from colleagues, friends, and family. Interesting. I had a conversation with Matt Haller about that very thing last week. And I think that the word of the year for me in 2020 and for a lot of people was pivot. It was all the pivots that had to be taken to get to the place where you could have the best meeting possible as opposed to the best possible meeting. Does that make sense to you? Oh, it makes perfect sense. And that uh, we did the same that we were in, in, in uh, our actual national conference was scheduled for April of 2020. And of course, like everything else that got canceled, that we decided that we needed to still acknowledge the performance of our network. So we did a virtual awards banquet for our event in August. Uh, then as we came into 2021, we felt that we still weren't obviously able to get together in person. And we didn't want to go through the whole kind of virtual national conference because, you know, it's that celebration, that connection that is so important in a franchise community and to, yes, there's certain things you can do virtually, but it's still not the same. And so we did our awards ceremony or banquet in April for the 2020 performance because we felt it was important to do but it still is never the same as being together and celebrating in person the performance of your system. Well, you got that right. There's nothing quite like being there, but let's hold on to our conversation about the joint right now. But we have to get there by virtue of first going the other way and rewinding the tape and educating the audience on how you began your career in franchising, how franchising found you. Well, Stan, I think I am like so many of your guests in that, uh, that somehow we stumbled into franchising as opposed to see, okay, this is my career, this is what I'm going to do, and, and seek out that opportunity. 
and that uh, my story is kind of funny, that uh, I actually have an a undergraduate degree in Latin American history and, and political science. Uh, I went on to do my master's in Latin American history from the University of London, and that what I really wanted to do when I grew up was to do policy analysis of U.S.-Latin American relations. And so when I finished my graduate work in London, if you want to do policy analysis of U.S.-Latin American relations, where would you go? Washington, D.C. And so I did. And so I went to Washington and trying to find this great job. And through a long, funny series of coincidences, I got hired by the International Franchise Association. Now, at the time, the only thing I knew about franchising was McDonald's as a franchise. And I don't particularly like that food. And I knew even less what a trade association was. And so it was kind of a leap of faith on both sides. And I was hired as assistant director of development. And basically that my job became to help the IFA recruit members like the joint and make sure that they join for the first time. And then they continue to renew their dues and that in that process fell absolutely head over heels in love with the concept of franchising. And what year would this be, Peter? Whose regime was this? Was this under Don DeBolt, perhaps? No, no, this is way before that. This is in 1986. And so I was hired in January of 86 by Bill Tchaikovsky. <laughs> now, there's a name we don't hear often, but what an iconic name in franchising. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that uh, I, I was hired at the association and that I still had that passion for international. And so I was there for five years and that uh, ultimately created the international department for the association. And that uh, my job then became to take companies like the joint that were interested in going overseas and set up qualified business appointments for them working through embassies and U.S. Department of Commerce, and I'd lead these trade missions around the world. It was an amazing time. I thought I was just in the catbird seat. I was so excited. I loved what I was doing. I was traveling around the world, helping franchisors go overseas, and that you're just thinking, okay, you're right where you want to be. And on one of these trade missions, uh, one of the members of the mission was talking to me, and this is actually in a bar in Paris, you know, in Walmart, and he's like, how would you like to think about coming to work for me? And they had a very fast-growing international division. This is in, the, actually, it was, I can't believe it's yogurt that was found by Bill and Julie Bryce. And Jim Amos was the, the head of sales at the time. He was on the mission and there was just an enormous growth in international for that company. And to make, again, a long story short, I uh, took the job. I uh, never worked for a franchisor. I've been telling franchisors how to go overseas. And now I was going to see if anything I was saying was right. <laughs> Well, how'd that work out for you? How'd it work out for them? It was amazing on both sides that this was the go-go days of frozen yogurt and that there was just so much excitement and interest and development. We ended up with around 1,100 units outside the United States before I left. The company got sold, and so I ended up leaving shortly thereafter. But it was just a remarkable period of growth and that we had a really interesting strategy where we're going around the world and not participating in franchise shows, but we were participating in food shows. And so that there would be these food shows all over the world and that there'd be typically an American pavilion and we would be there and handing out a whole bunch of frozen yogurt samples and really was an effective way to get in touch with some really interesting people who ultimately became our master franchisees. In that period, and I was there for about almost seven years, and I would tell you I probably did more international transactions than most people would get in a career hmm. because there was just so much activity and interest. Where were you living in those years? Dallas, Texas. And oh, so, uh, so we moved from Washington, D.C. to Dallas, Texas and worked there for, for that period. That company got sold. <laughs> and so I ended up from there moving to Mailbox, et cetera. And I think that's where you and I started connecting. I think you're right. Tell us about those years. Then you went from Dallas to what, Southern California? Southern California, moved to San Diego, California, where Mailbox, et cetera, of course, the UPS store today is headquartered. And that I was brought on board as the uh, vice president of international. And what year and would this be? Take us to what year you're in. That now is 1997. And so right. um, I, I started in January of 97. 
And shortly after I arrived there, we celebrated at that point the 500th unit outside the United States for mailboxes center. And then when I left in uh, the end of 2001, that we had over 1,200 units outside the United States. So again, it was a period of enormous growth, an incredibly interesting company. I went through a number of transactions that when I got there shortly thereafter, the company was publicly traded, very closely held and thinly traded, but it was public. And that uh, was acquired by another public company. So we became a subsidiary of a, of a company called U.S. Office Products. And then to make, again, a very long, interesting story short, ultimately was spun off to UPS. Uh, UPS acquired the, the Mailboxes Center concept. I was part of that transition team working toward the movement from Mailboxes Center name to the UPS store and then ended up moving on with uh, another concept shortly thereafter that. But an uh, amazing time, extraordinary experience. I started out in the international and then ended up being responsible for all sales for the organization. And I think it was, if I'm trying to really stretch and think back, I think perhaps I met you through William Lasante. It was either William or Dennis Fuller, maybe both. I think, uh, actually, I want to say Dennis was our, was our first contact. But yes, uh, William Lasante was a very dear friend. I was very active in the IFA as well. I've always been active in the IFA. That uh, just started my career there, understanding the power and the importance of that association. I just have so much appreciation and, and respect for everything that the IFA has done for franchising. It amazes me that as long as we've known each other, I never knew the beginning of your story. I never knew that until recently about you having a career that began with the IFA. I know that, like me, you've been a loyalist to the association and it's worked forever. But in your case, you had a much different reason than I did. You had an insider's view. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So I was there for about five years. Uh, as I said, it's just these paths that we go down and that and Santa's even more, there's kind of a funny story is that. So then, you know, I'm running around Washington. I'm trying to find my job and that I'm at the beginning of my career. And so it, it was a really funny coincidence. I actually got offered two jobs on the same day. Hmm. And one was with uh, the NGO that was based in Washington, did development work work in, in Africa, Latin America, and it was seemingly what I wanted. And I'd been interviewing with them. They said, listen, Peter, that we have an opening. Now, it's not what you want. It's not a development position, but it's an accounting position, but it gets you in the door. And I promise you that the next job you have, the, the next opening that we have will be yours. I'm like, okay. And at that time, this is again, 1986. And so you know, the pay was going to be $12,000 a year. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, hmm. Yeah, even back then, Washington, D.C. was a very expensive city and I was married. And, and so literally on that same day, the International Franchise Association offered me the job to be assistant director of development and the pay was $25,000 a year. And, nice. I, and I'm in this quandary because I mean, oh my gosh, am I lose? I knew I wanted to do Latin American development. Am I going to ruin my career by taking this kind of unknown path of franchising? And so I went to one of my most trusted advisors and I said, listen, I am just, I just don't know what to do. And I walked him through the choices. And I said, I'm just so afraid that I'm going to ruin my career. And he said, Peter, you don't have a career. <laughs> <laughs> Take the IFA job and figure it out. Sage advice. I, yeah. well, which is what I did. And this is what's so interesting is by making that choice. And this whole career had unfolded that uh, I would have had no ability to imagine. And I think that's a such a common story that we come into franchising and all these different from paths and that uh, as you as you become familiar with it if you understand it it just is for me it's just so addictive it's just a space that i can't get out of 
It doesn't mean there's not all kinds of challenges with franchising sure. compared to all other different models of development, but it is the most unique relationship in business development between that franchisor and the franchisee. And it's just so interesting to me, interesting to me and there's just so much passion behind it when you, uh, when you do it right. You, know, you remind me of two famous authors with your story. One is James Redfield, the author of The Celestine Prophecy, who in that book preaches that there are no coincidences. We do what we're supposed to do, and it's not coincidence that you chose what you've chosen instead of what would have been the path not taken. Mm -hmm. And the other one I think of is Stephen Covey, who says that our situations are more a function of our decisions than they are our conditions. And so, again, you made a decision, literally telling yourself you might be giving up your career, making the wrong move, and the move you made became the definition of your career. Stan, that is so true. And I so appreciate both of those authors. And, and, and the way that I would describe it, and advice I'd give to anybody, is that don't be limited to your own vision. And, and I'm a person, I set goals, I have really strong views on just about everything. And so I knew that's what I wanted to do, and I did everything in my part to follow that path of policy analysis of U.S.-Latin American relations. And uh, what I've learned, and I just think about different junctures in my own life as I reflect back, is that I never limited myself to my own vision. And so you're open to that opportunity that doesn't maybe feel as what you thought you wanted to do, but there's enough there that it pulls you down that path and that it is it's so enriched my life. I'm sure if I had taken that other job in the NGO and done my work in Africa and Latin America, it'd also been an interesting life. But this path has been so interesting. And I'm just so grateful for the experience of being able to find and, to, and flourish in this incredible franchise community. So fill in the gaps for us then from San Diego and UPS to what came next. Uh, from there, I went to a public company that was, uh, it was a venting concept. It was uh, based in New Zealand. They're public on the, the, stock exchange, the, the stock exchange in New Zealand and that they had expanded to Australia and that they were really getting their operations up in California. So they really wanted to open up the U.S. market. And their, their concept was, is that vending was an industry that had been, again, highly fragmented, very little technology, uh, just regional players all over the country. And that they ended up uh, creating this proprietary technology that made the vending machine smart. So rather than just kind of assuming what the machine needed when you refilled it, is it would actually call out, give its list of, okay, these are the things that are missing. And so then that driver who goes to fill these vending machines can turn around and know exactly what to bring to refill the machine. And so all these vending companies, they have all these routes of all these vending equipment that's across the country. So the model was to acquire these vending companies and then to have these routes and then spin them off as a franchise. And so I was doing that for a number of years and that ended up leaving and was hired by a private equity firm that was very interested. You know, right, as, as you know, private equity is increasingly interested in, in the model of franchising, investing more and more in all kinds of different levels, both at the franchisor level and at the franchisee level and even on financing. And so it's been so interesting over the years to watch the impact that private equity has had on franchising. And so I ended up working for a company, uh, a private equity firm based out of Boston. It's called Great Hill Partner and that they were looking to create, they hadn't started, but they wanted to create a portfolio of, of franchised operations. And I was their executive in resident to help them go through that process. And then, so we did that for about a year and a half, got close on a couple of deals uh, to make a long story short again, is that while I was doing that, I got recruited away by concept, uh, also private equity back, uh, based in New York called Tasty Delight. And so Tasty Delight was this really interesting concept based in New York, had about 120 points of distribution at that point, never franchised, it was all a distribution system. And it was acquired by a private equity group and, and with the assumption that we would convert it into a franchise model, uh, which, we, which we did. 
Now, what was interesting is we're going through this process that, that started in 2007, and that many of us will remember that 2008 was a, yeah, it was a rough year, <laughs> very interesting year. And so, and it turns out, and so it was, a, it was this really interesting model that had never really had a professional position behind it in terms of whether it was marketing or operations or IT or anything. And so, we're putting all those systems in place and redesigning it. And we had a big launch party on this you know, incredibly beautiful new shop in Columbus Circle in New York City, one of the highest retail rates I've ever seen. I've still never paid in my career. Mm -hmm. And that we uh, had our grand opening on September 18th, 2008, which is, of course, the day that, uh, I went out Smith Barney, but oh, what's the big firm that, you know, the investment house that went bankrupt on that day. Oh, it doesn't matter. It really was the marker of the Great Recession. And that was the day that we launched our new program. And so it was a really interesting period in learning how to operate in that environment. We ended up doing a couple of acquisitions to, to, that were synergistic to the this Tasty Light concept. So we acquired a concept out of Atlanta called uh, Planet Smoothie. Mm -hmm. So I was there for, it was, a, it was supposed to be a three-year play. It turned out to be nine, just given a great recession. We sold it off. And then I ultimately was recruited to the joint chiropractic, which is where I've been now for five years. Quite an array of market segments and brands. And I think that it's a testament to the fact that when you've got the kinds of talent and skill required in the development side of franchising, you can go across any brand, right? Well, it's, can... and that's what is so powerful uh, from a career perspective of the franchise model, being in franchising, because what we all know is that in franchising, we are managing two parallel unrelated businesses. Concept, frozen yogurt, chiropractic care, postal and business communication services. And I think the IFA would tell you there's almost 300 different industries that are utilizing the methodology of franchising. And then, of course, we have methodology, you know, the methodology of franchising. And so what happens is there's just that, that whole unique relationship between the franchisor and the franchisee or how we convey technology or how we operate in that small box retail space, because that's where so many of our franchise concepts are residing, is that it's it's actually unrelated to concept. You know, right. and, and, and so that they there is such a transfer of that skill set that as you learn to be more effective in your role as a franchisor and, 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 and whether it's in the sales process or whether it's in the training process or an operational process or the marketing process, because it, there, it, it transcends concept. That's what's really interesting to me. And so that you have this opportunity to continually be learning and growing and applying it because every one of these concepts has its own uniqueness. Believe me, this is the first time I've done healthcare and in chiropractic, you know, this is a medical service and that there is a whole series of unique attributes to this concept that are completely different from anything else I've done. The glue though that holds it all together across any of those brands is the reason why franchising is what franchising is. And that's because we're really in the culture and relationship business. You may learn a new product and you may learn a new segment of the marketplace, but in franchising, if it's not people first and relationships first, you're never going to get to the unit level economics that it requires second, unless you've mastered the first part. Oh, the second here. part I, will never happen. Absolutely. I mean, again, that just comes from the strength and wisdom of your experience. And, and it's so true as well. Those of us who have been doing it this long and, and, and understand what you just said, I use it slightly a little differently. What I would tell you is absolutely franchising is the business of managing relationships. And if you get that wrong, uh, you end up in a world of hurt. You, you get it right. It's amazing the power that you can unleash in this model. And, and I, I just, I have just so many different ways I describe franchising, but that's certainly one of the tenets is the business of managing a relationship. And this is the most unique relationship you ever will be in in business. They are not our employees. They are not a union. 
They are people who are taking traditionally, especially in the small box retail space, is that the, uh, probably the, uh, the largest portion of their life savings to invest in something that they really care about. And they're trusting you to deliver an operating model that allows them to achieve their goals. And so it creates this really unique and powerful relationship. It that- sure does. And it's kind of ironic that we're hearing about these adjustments from the CEO of the joint. Chiropractic is making adjustments on their patients every day of the week all over the country. And Absolutely. we're standing here talking about the adjustments needed for franchisors to um, be successful. The conversation today is with Peter Holt, president and CEO of the Joint Chiropractic. And we're going to come back and talk a lot more about the joint and life post-COVID at the joint right after this. Franchise Today will be right back. But first, a word from our sponsors. We are all familiar with Vistage, YPO, and EO. Well, now comes Zorforum, a somewhat similar type of executive group, but this one comes with a twist. Zorforum groups are exclusively for franchisors. Imagine a peer group for sharing and networking on a platform built exclusively for franchise executives. Zorforum members are afforded unparalleled access to best practices and some of the brightest minds within the franchising world through regular meetings and a dedicated communications platform. In this post-COVID world, a franchise-specific mastermind or peer group is an endeavor worth making time for. Zorforum groups of 6 to 10 will bring leaders together that are in similar situations, but with exclusivity in terms of their competitive sets, so that each can openly help others benefit from their respective knowledge, perspective, and experience with no fear of competitive loss. Network, learn, strategize, and remain motivated along your journey. Join a peer group, not just any peer group. Join the only one designed for emerging franchisors. Join Zorforum. Learn more at Zorforum.com. That's www.Zorforum.com. And we're back with Peter Holt, CEO of the Joint Chiropractic. Peter, let's talk first for a few minutes about the joint from the consumer's perspective. I live in Atlanta, home of Life University, probably the most preeminent school of chiropractic, at least in my knowledge base. And I've been a fan of chiropractic for years. Where did the idea come from? Who gave birth to the concept of franchising chiropractic? Well, that's, again, I think a very traditional franchise story is that uh, what happened in, in Tucson, Arizona in 1999, was a doctor of chiropractic that really had this incredible idea and that what he wanted to do was to take chiropractic care and deliver it to the masses. So historically, chiropractic has been kind of in medical buildings, office buildings, kind of hard to, to access, the insurance base, uh, not clear how to get to it. And his view, his vision was, you know what? I want this to be available to everyone. I was actually, we're celebrating our 500th clinic a couple of years ago. And I was talking with, now as an ex-wife, but his wife at the time, and she's still in a, a franchisee in the joint. And she was telling me the story is when she, and her husband were literally sitting in a Starbucks and he's looking around and saying, oh my gosh, this is what I want to do for chiropractic. And she was scared spitless <laughs> because to pay those high retail rates and to make this work at a low cost. And so that's exactly what he did. Is he opened up a retail store that he didn't use insurance. There were no appointments. It almost looked like a, 
art gallery or they'd have music and you know, it was very inexpensive and it was unbelievably successful. And so Stan, what happens so often when you have these concepts in that retail setting that have this enormous interest and your, your customers are coming in, they're saying, oh my gosh, this is so interesting. Not only do I love this product or service, are you franchised? And our doctor said, you know what, why not? So in 2003, he started franchise. And to fast forward to 2010, that there were these two brothers who saw one of the units operating in Austin, Texas and said, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I've been looking for. And they sat down and they negotiated to acquire the concept. And then the Joint Corp, which is the company I work for, was formed. And in March of 2010, there were eight units of record. So 1999, 2010, eight units, that's not franchising. <laughs> and while he was a great doctor and he had a brilliant idea, I'm going to tell you, he was a lousy franchisor. He wasn't at all involved in the IFA. He was trying to figure it out on his own. He didn't understand anything about what the business model of franchise required, even how to structure a contract properly. So now, fast forward. So in 2010, they put in a franchise system. And that uh, when we went public in November of 2014, Less than four years later, there were 242 franchise units on the ground in operation. That's franchising. So that's the story of how we got started. And of course, now we're, we're, we're over 600 units operating in 34 states. Well, just proves the point that's made repeatedly by those of us who know that operating your business is not the same as scaling it. And because you're good at one doesn't make you a pro at the other, does it? Well, and, and uh, the way I would describe that, Stan, is back to this concept of concept versus methodology, is that he got the concept down. He knew chiropractic. Right. I mean, he was a doctor. He knew exactly chiropractic. He was a great doctor. And he had this brilliant idea of how to deliver it in a, in a retail setting and make it un, in a very affordable and accessible. And, and the market loved it. Yeah, where he failed was the inability to understand the model of franchising and right. create that structure that would allow him to unleash the real power of his business model. So today, from the consumer's perspective, what are some of the competitive advantages that drive your clients and your franchise? these patients to the joint. You've made it clear convenience and taking it out of the medical genre is clearly one. What else? I'll tell you, there's there's a couple of things. And first of all, it's kind of chiropractic has been around forever. It's been around since actually we just celebrated 125 years of chiropractic being in existence. And, and historically, like again, I'm a baby boomer and chiropractic's had kind of a, a negative feeling about it, a stigma. Is this quackery? Is this real medicine? And so there's a lot of stigmas associated with the chiropractic, especially baby boomers and older. And so that our revolution is not in changing chiropractic care in any way for the consumer, that what we're really doing is providing it in that retail setting. It's accessible, it's affordable, it's approachable. So you, you maybe didn't even know that you thought about going to a chiropractor, but you've been going to your daily use center you know, where you get your haircut or buy a frozen yogurt. And oh my gosh, there's the joint. That's not cannabis, that's chiropractic. <laughs> I'll go in. And so that we, you know, like all of us in that small box retail space, all those little boxes lined up, we need to make sure that we are educating the consumers who live, work, and travel in that five to 15 minute radius. So when they need our product or service, they open that door. And so that by opening that door and by educating the consumer about the power and efficacy of chiropractic is absolutely what has been driving our business. So if we look at it, Stan, that if we go back, this set aside the 2020 COVID period. If we look at our comps, for example, which is a very good indicator of where concepts headed, if we go 16, 17, 18, 19, four-year comps, we stack our comps over that four-year period, our comps were 99%. So almost 25% year over year over year. Now, even in the middle of the pandemic, that when we finished the full year comps, it was 9%. And that we just 
district earlier this year were public, of course, and we reported out our Q1 earnings in May of this year, our comps were 21%. I'm going to tell you what drives our business more than anything else. And this is your real question, is that chiropractic works. This is the whole message for us, is that chiropractic actually works. Now, we're in a country of pain, and it's getting worse. And yes, we're in the COVID, you know, with the pandemic, but we also have a pandemic of pain. We have a pandemic of obesity. We have a pandemic of diabetes. All these things that are just creating so much pain. In fact, I'll tell you, there's like the cost of pain in this country is estimated to be over $650 billion. Now, half of that is lost wages, and the other half is what we spend to get out of pain. And then if we kind of look at chiropractic, it's about a $16 billion industry, and it's dominated by these 41,000 independent practitioners. And so in our case, by making people aware more than anything else, is once they use it, guess what? They tell their friends. Guess what? They go online. They're doing their search. Oh, this is great. And so we're seeing that's so much what's driving the growth of this company is that more and more people are aware of chiropractic, how to access it. And when they do, they keep coming back. What about the franchise side of the business, Peter? Who is it that makes a stellar franchisee for the joint? Well, it's a great question. If you look at our franchise base, um, and this is actually stand some of the, the, the challenges we face on the franchise sales side, because if you're interested in buying a franchise and you don't really know what to do, and you're going to kind of be attracted to what's important to you, and that no one thinks, oh my gosh, you know, chiropractic, that's got to be franchised, right? <laughs> you know, so, so they never are like, what? You're franchising chiropractic care? What does that mean? And then at that same time, if they get over that hurdle, you're like, oh, of course, I've got to be a doctor if I'm going to be a franchisee of chiropractic care, right? Well, it turns out that 25% of our network is in fact the doctor of chiropractic. But also so that means 75% is the, the business person that is hiring the doctor. And so when I would say, when I'm looking at the most successful franchisees we have, and I have this conversation with our doctors all the time, because if anybody can run a great claim, and that's the individual performance is that exactly that. When we're talking about a system, talking about a network of corporate units versus franchise units or franchise units that are owned and operated by doctors versus owned and operated by the business people. As a system, there's no question that our business people hiring the doctors are running better performing clinics than the doctors themselves. And that's the power of our model for those doctors is that they're really great at delivering chiropractic care, but that doesn't mean they know how to organize the business to do their P&L, to do their marketing, to think through the operations of their business. And so we're putting that all in that operating model so that what allows them to do what they love to do most, and that's to deliver chiropractic care to their patients. What about the single versus multi-unit? And from an average size, what would a franchisee be owning in terms of numbers of clinics? Well, we, we have a couple of outliers. So that if you look at on the franchise side of our business, that uh, we also do corporate units. So kind of about 600 plus units out there, about you know 550 of them are franchised. And that we have two outliers that they actually own I think both of them, almost 50 clinics in themselves in multi-states. I would say if you do the straight line average, okay, we've got 550-ish franchise units in operation. We probably have about 230 franchisees who are operating that. So if you kind of pull those outliers out, we probably, we do have a lot of multi-unit operation, but it's probably of the average of around about three. Well, it's an item 19 that reflects the, the power of the brand behind it. Why don't you share some about your numbers? Well, we actually have, uh, our item 19 is probably one of the most extensive detailed item 19s that I've worked with that uh, we do a full PL analysis of course we do the breakdown of gross sales by quartile if it's just a straight line average if you go to our 2021 FGD the straight line average is just probably a little under half a million dollars 
that what I would tell you, Stan, is I've, and I've obviously spent a lot of time in this space and mainly in that small box retail space. And it's interesting to me in that experience is, is the operating costs are almost the same for all those little boxes, whether they're frozen yogurt or postal business communication services or chiropractic care. And that there, there may be a little more expense, for example, associated with frozen desserts just because of all the equipment. But if you think about it, we're all paying the same rent. We have the same customer base. We have the same kind of build out in a thousand square feet and that they're all the same. And so what I find so interesting about the joint is this concept probably has one of the strongest unit economics I've seen in that space. Now, I've seen stronger, stronger unit economics, but not in that space of that thousand square feet. And our, our total build-out costs probably around average around, I don't know, $180,000, $200,000 that most of those little boxes, one of their primary costs to manage is cost of goods. The ideal, like in the frozen yogurt world, the 20% cost of goods ideal. When you start you know, moving that up, I think in the Sandwich world, what is about 27% is you know, yeah. where you'd expect it to and be. Get, and, and in winds, it could go into the 30s if you look at price of poultry at certain times of the year. Exactly. So 30%. But I mean, you start getting above that because right. you, you just got to cut the pie with not just your, your cost of goods, but your labor and your lease and your marketing and then all your other little ancillary costs. And so in our model, you know what our cost of goods are? Zero. There is no cost of goods. It's all service. Now we pay our doctors. So our doctors is going to be paid more than that young woman who's just serving the yogurt. But if you look at those five costs, every small box retail has to manage. And it's, again, it's labor, it's real estate, it's marketing, it's cost of goods, and then the ancillary computer, garbage, you know, electricity, whatever. Those are the five costs we have to manage. And so in our model, one of them we don't have. And so that just the, 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 the flow through to the bottom line from mature clinic here is, is remarkable. The other thing that we're seeing is we don't know where the top of this business model is. When you're continually seeing these, these incredible comps, you don't know the top of your model. What do you do to try to maximize or optimize the business opportunity with that kind of interest in chiropractic? Are your clinics running with multiple doctors into that thousand square feet? Or do you need that much more than a thousand square feet to run it? Not at all. Again, our concept is it's membership based. So most of our patients join as a member. We have a variable rate depending on the market. See, they're going to be 59 dollars or $79 a month. For that, for the monthly fee, you get four adjustments. If you need additional adjustments during that month, it's $10 until your next month kicks in and about 85% of the sales of the average unit is generated from membership. So that's obviously a, a huge piece of the business. Now you've been to a chiropractor and you can kind of like, I've been to, going to chiropractors for over 30 years. And that's not why I have the job, but it's given me a really interesting point of view from the patient's perspective. And in the traditional way I use my chiropractic is that, what do I do? I make an appointment, I go in, if it's the first time, I'll probably get an x-ray. They'll offer me hot pads, cold pads, muscle stem, supplements, pillows, all these things. And, and quite frankly, I always thought they were doing that because they really cared about my health. And what I realize now is it's far more about the average doctor is going to see 20 patients a day. And he's got to click off as many points on that insurance form that he can you know, to, to make a value for him. And now in the joint, we only do chiropractic care. And so by doing so, if you're coming in for the first time, you're going to get a consultation, an examination. Let's say you came in with lower back pain and they did an adjustment. So that whole experience is going to be probably 15, 20 minutes and that it's going to cost $29. And now let's say you did go in with lower back pain and the doctor saying, listen, this isn't a one and done. It needs to be two or three times for the next couple of weeks. You'll probably join as a member. Super easy to join, super easy to drop. So it's not like one of these memberships where once you're in, you're trapped. That you, you typically, you, you do need to join if you're a member for two months. But after two months, just come in and say, you know, I quit. You know, it's all right. You can come back. We actually find a lot of our patients come back. Come back. I think 25% of them come back you know, on, on an average of six months. And so easy to come in, easy to get out of the system. And so it's that three to five minutes. That's all it is. 
So the next time you come in, your record pops up, you can come into any clinic in the country or IT platform that connects every clinic. And so you've got, I think, about 30 clinics in the Atlanta area. You can go to any one of them. You'll scan in. We give you a little key tag. You'll scan in. You're in our queue. You'll go back. The doctor looks at your records and says, okay, now knows how to adjust you. And you're out in three to five minutes. And it's open bay. And so you can end up with, you know, two tables, three tables, four tables. So it's all now a function of how many doctors you have working to be able to cover the volume. Peter, this sounds like a fascinating as you said, limitless opportunity for growth. And unless and until, as Americans, we get over those other pandemics like obesity and diabetes and the others that you ticked off, which it's not highly likely that our culture is going to see that change anytime soon. It looks to me like you guys are going to be around for quite some time. Well, Sam, what's so interesting is we're continually seeing our patient get younger and younger and younger. Now, I've been here for five years. And when I was here at the beginning of the years, when we, because we have all that, and it's also so interesting about this concept because I know everything about my patient. This isn't frozen yogurt. I mean, in frozen yogurt, what do I know? I know always transactional value. I know they like chocolate or like vanilla more than chocolate. I know they skew female. I know they skew young, but that's about it. And I can do customer intercepts and try to get a greater view of that customer. But this is a medical service. And so when you come in and fill out that eight-page form, you're telling us everything about you. You know, where you live, where you work, what your pain is. We know every time you come in, we know what you pay. We know everything about you. So that data that we have on our customer base is remarkable. And so when I I look at this five years ago, we probably had the average median age of our patient was around 40, 41. Uh, today it's 36.1. 44% of our patients are millennial, 11% are Gen Z. And so it's, it's the younger people who don't have that stigma that are truly looking for that non-evasive, non-opioid-based way to get out of pain. Well, and then with an audience of customers that are younger each year, the lifetime value of your consumer is, is much, much greater than the average business would be in retail. Absolutely. And what's also interesting is just the demographics are just the widest demographics I've ever worked. Mm. You know, we're, we're almost equal male, female. I, I see the median age is 36. We skew Hispanic. We skew people like the gym. We skew blue collar. So it's because, again, this is a very affordable treatment. So that uh, it's, a, it's an incredible diversity in the demographic profile. Wanted to tell the audience how they can find you again, learn more about the joint or about you personally. Absolutely. The best way to do that is to just go to our website, uh, thejoint.com. Uh, super easy. You can also find me on there. All my contact information is on our website. But certainly you can also reach me directly. I'm peter.holt at thejoint.com is my email. And that, uh, like I said, it's thejoint.com is our website. Peter, it's been a real pleasure catching up with you, my friend. And I'm looking forward to doing that as we get back out and about and start seeing each other face to face again. Peter Holt, president and CEO of The Joint Chiropractic. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Stan. It was a pleasure. Well, that about does it for today. Coming up next week, Jerry Henley, a seasoned CEO and franchise pro and system and soul coach. He's also the president of Launch to Growth, a consultancy specializing in standing up emerging franchisors. And quite possibly, Jerry could be here next week to share some other breaking news as well. Jerry Henley, next week, right here on Franchise Today. Until then, I'm Stan Friedman wishing you the best, the very best of all things franchising and franchise today is out franchise today is a production of frm solutions providing best-in-class crm tools to empower relationships with prospective and existing franchisees no excuses just solutions find them online at frmsolutions.com join stan every wednesday at noon eastern for another live episode of franchise today or as always download episodes on demand at blogtalkradio.com or itunes 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.